0: This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This morning, we are kicking off a new series called Intentional Love. Over the next couple of weeks, uh, through the rest of February, we're going to be talking about God's plan for our lives, specifically in the area of our relationships, of how as we experience His love, it changes our ability to uh, love Him, to be loved by Him, and then from there is going to transform all of our relationships. And so the the way we're going to walk through this over the next three weeks is we're going to begin today by talking about the the foundation of love and just kind of trying to establish some common ground from the beginning. Next week, we're going to talk about the experience of love. And so I want to encourage you, if there is someone in your life who drives you nuts— um, you're going to want to bring them with you next Sunday morning because we will we will fix them, okay? Uh, I, I promise. If it, Next week, it's, it's two simple things that if they'll do those things, your life will be a whole lot better. Uh, now, the, the reverse side of that is if they drive you nuts, chances are you drive them nuts too. So if you will do the two things we're going to talk about next week, it'll revolutionize your relationship with them. And just life will be back to rainbows and unicorns and flowers and everything perfect like you always wished it would be. But So next week, don't miss out on the experience of love. And then the third uh, week, the last Sunday in February, we're going to talk about the legacy of love, about how the way that we live, the way we love God and love others, we're leaving paths behind us uh, for those who are coming after us that will either make it easier Or more difficult for them to love Jesus and to love each other. So I I hope you'll be here for all of those. This morning, though, we're gonna start off by talking about the foundation of love. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter 7. We'll be there in in just a moment if you have a Bible and wanna turn there. When it comes to um, a relationship series, though, I wanted to be sure that we started in the right place. So I think a lot of times when we talk about things like this, uh, many of us have a tendency to just want to know the, the very, pre, you know, kind of the, the most practical, give me the five things I should do when I leave this morning, or more importantly, give the person sitting next to me the five things they should do uh, so that they'll be a better person and my life will be easier. Um, but what I, what I want to caution us about, and this is why we're going to spend this morning talking about the foundation of our love, is Is that in in those situations, when we have a problem with our relationships and we go immediately to uh, what can I do to improve, um, sometimes it it actually winds up setting us up to fail. Because we'll do those things and maybe they'll be successful for a season, but they're not going to bring long-term health because they never got down really to the root of the issue. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago. I had a a physical therapy appointment for my knee, and so we'd been been working with this therapist for a couple months now, and he's got a a program that he's putting me through. And so I went in one day, and he said, have you ever done kettlebell swings? And if you're not familiar with what those are, it's a little uh, ball of weight with a little handle on it, and you take it and and swing it. And I said, yeah, sure, I've been doing those for like six years. He was like, okay. Uh, So he put one on the floor, and he said, "Uh, show me your form. Show me how you do it. What? No problem, you know, like, you sure you only want this much weight? Because I can do a lot more. Uh, but he was like, no, just 10 pounds, that's good, just, just get started. So uh, he, I said, oh, how many do you want? You know, thinking like, I can do 100, I can do these all day. He's like, just do 10. And so I do 10, and he's like, well, That's terrible. And that's not at all what it's supposed to look like. And we literally spent the next hour with him critiquing every little piece of my form to make sure. And all along the way, he's telling me, now, the way you were doing it was really, really hard on your knees. And I thought, well, that would have been good to know right before the sixth knee surgery that I had a couple months ago. You know? and so, but he was working me all the way through this. And, and it's a, the lesson I learned there is the same lesson I think we have to learn this morning that if we just want to skip ahead to show me what to do, how to do it, and let me start doing it, sometimes we will begin to work in ways that don't actually lead to long-term health, but can actually have some unforeseen and negative consequences. So in our relationships, here's what we have to do. We cannot just skip straight to here are three things I'm going to do when I leave this morning. Because if we do that without actually examining the foundation of our heart, what's going to lead us into one of two ways. If we're really successful at it, It's going to make us become just insufferably self-righteous because we will become convinced. Hey, look, I can do it. Everybody can do it. If you'll just do these things like I've done, your life will improve too. That's a small percentage. The rest of us, we're going to go try to do those things and we're going to fail miserably and we're just going to become more and more convinced. I can't do this. I can never have these healthy relationships and and we'll just kind of quit trying. So what I want to do this morning, it's going to be very, very simple. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. This comes at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's when Jesus is um, telling people basically how they should respond to his teaching. So the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And that passage is the, the most extended, continual section of teaching of Jesus in the gospel. And throughout that section, he has uh, spent time telling us, when you are in my kingdom, this is what your life will look like. These are the types of values that you'll have. These are the ways that you'll relate to one another. And then these verses we're reading this morning are basically his concluding statement to the Sermon on the Mount. If you grew up in church, you're going to be very familiar with it. It's the the passage where Jesus talks about the wise and the foolish builder, one who builds on the rock and one who builds on the sand. But this morning I want to read it to you from the message paraphrase because I think uh, Eugene Peterson, the guy who put together that paraphrase, does a really good job of capturing uh, just the, the core of what Jesus is saying, and he uses some really great language that I think is going to help us remember it this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. It says these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life homeowner improvements to your standard of living they are foundational words words to build a life on if you work these words into your life you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock rain poured down the river flooded a tornado hit but nothing moved that house it was fixed to the rock but if you just use my words in bible studies and don't work them into your life. You were like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Again, just the, the language he uses I think is, is Great! It paints that beautiful picture for us. And whether you are a, a builder or a handyman or not, you understand this idea, right? Like, I, I mean, some of you I know you're incredibly handy. If we gave you uh, like a two by four, a roll of duct tape, and a hammer, you could build us a shed in like two minutes. That's wonderful. We're all very impressed. Some of us don't have. Any of those gifts at all, Um, but you don't have to be a particularly handy person to understand that truth, that the, the strength of a building begins with its foundation. And some of you, you've probably went through the, the wonderful experience of owning a home or trying to buy a house or sell a house only to discover it had foundation problems, right? Or like when the church was first built a couple years later, we had to have all kinds of uh, work done to this foundation here to kind of shore it up. And, and what we understand is that until you fix those problems, You're just going to continually fight problems in the rest of the building. The drywall is going to crack. The roof is going to sag. You're going to have drainage issues. Your doors are going to be off kilter. There's just endless problems, and they're all related to the foundation. And so Jesus, in his brilliance, he uses an illustration 2,000 years ago that those people understood exactly what he meant right in that moment. And for us today, we still understand exactly what he meant right in this moment, and when we come to our relationships, the idea that I I want you to begin with is this, that you cannot have healthy relationships built on a bad foundation, right? And we all want to have healthy relationships. We all want to thrive in our friendships, with our family members, in our marriages, with our, our coworkers, with our neighbors. Everybody wants health. I don't know anybody who sits down at night and thinks, you know, I just... I just need a little more drama in my life, right? Nobody does. If you do that, I'm sure there's medication for you. But for the rest of us, we don't operate that way. We want life to go well. We want to have deep and authentic relationships where we are able to love and be loved. And no matter how healthy we are, we can look around and we realize we're not quite there yet. We haven't reached perfection. Even our most healthy relationships, there are still areas that we wish would be different, that we wish would improve. And most of the time, we think that the solution to those problems lies with the other person. Right? On Wednesday nights, Angie and I are leading a, a class uh, by uh, Gary Smalley called The DNA of Relationships. And so he talks about just telling all kinds of stories of his uh, just three, four decades worth of time spent with couples and with other people trying to help them build healthy relationships. And one of the things he mentioned in one of the week's teachings was this idea that uh, when people come in for marriage counseling and he asks them, he says, now tell me what your problem is. Their problem, he says, sometimes they do it physically, other times they just do it in their words. But basically their problem is always this guy. Like, they, or this woman, like, they, they are the problem. And he says, okay, well, tell me why they're the problem. And he says, sometimes they'll give them paper, and they can write page after page after page of all their spouse is doing. And they'll say, okay, now tell me how you are contributing to the problems in your marriage. And he says, they'll normally come up with, like, one or two things, you know, of like, well, I guess I can be a little judgmental or Sometimes I just try too hard. You know, uh, just like the, the very superficial like scholarship committee type of answers. But uh, he says, you know, it's, and so his point is something that I think we all have to understand, we all have to embrace this morning is that the problem in all of our relationships is us. My uh, my mom helped me learn this lesson at a, a very young age. I was probably fourth grade, fifth grade, I think. Whatever age you are, when you start uh, adding and subtracting, multiplying, dividing fractions in school. I don't remember exactly, but I'm going to say, let's say fourth, fifth, sixth grade, somewhere in there, okay? I know some of your kids are super gifted, and they're like three and doing that already, and congratulations. But for the rest of us, or maybe you still haven't learned what that is, no matter, uh, that's why you have a calculator. But um, so we, I bring my homework home one day, and the lesson that day is on common denominators. And uh, she's just going through this with me, and then in a moment, it's like she has an epiphany. And she turns to me and she says, son, you are the common denominator in our family. And I didn't really know what that meant. I thought she meant like I was the dominator, like the one that was, I was like, yeah, yeah, I am, mom. And then she explained to me every time, I'm the second of four kids. She said, every time there's a fight in our house, you're right in the middle of it. You're the cause of it. When there's a fight in the neighborhood, you instigated it. When your dad is aggravated, you poke his little buttons just to get, see what you can do. When the dog is having a fit in the backyard, you're out there teasing it. And she just began to explain this to me, and, and then she reiterated that to me basically on a weekly basis from then until now. Um, you know, they were here for Thanksgiving, and I was giving my sisters a hard time. And my mom walked through the room and said, you're still the common denominator, and I was like, yeah mom, this is my house. Like, you, you insult me in my, you know, and so we had a, a conversation. But um, it, it's this this thing. She helped me learn from a young age. Not only was I the problem in my life, I was the problem in a lot of other people's lives too. And you might not have been, have been as annoying as I was as a child. Some of you might have been worse. Some of you might have been more like my wife, who when we ask her mom, what bad things did Angie do when she was little? She's like, I just don't remember any. It's like, Llewellyn, just... No more talking. You know that's not helpful for my cause with our kids. But uh, you know, you regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, both as a kid or now, here's the thing that we have to understand. It's it's really one of the central messages of the gospel, and it's that in every relationship we have, the reason it's lacking is because we're a part of it, right? And so, if magically you were to discover the perfect spouse, you would screw them up. If somebody would come and give you the perfect children you would mess it all up. If you entered in and found the perfect church where everybody loved Jesus and everybody got along and there was no drama, you would be gasoline that starts the fire, right? All of us, no matter how we're wired, no matter how complacent or compliant we might be, we are the reason that our relationships suffer. And because of that, it means we cannot be the solution to fix our relationships, Anytime we're building a foundation that we have built, we are building something that will fail. I love the the phrase that the message uses, that will collapse like a house of cards. It might look, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a house of cards. They're pretty impressive, right? Not very durable. Doesn't take much to knock them down. And it's the same way with your life. If you decide, I'm going to build this up in my own strength, through my own ability, it's going to collapse. It's going to fail. And one of the ways it's going to do that is when the storms of life come against us. I want you to listen again to uh, what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Now, if these things are true... If we are going to root our lives in the revelation of Jesus Christ, in who he is and what he has promised, then this statement right here has the ability to completely change our lives, to change the way we experience even our most difficult relationships. Because Jesus, as the foundation of our love, changes the way we enter into difficult moments with those that are closest to us and with those who are kind of in those more uh, outlier kind of relationships. For most of us, Jesus is telling us, look, the storms are going to come. And when they come, they're going to test the foundation of your relationships. Now, most of us when we experience those storms in relationships, we typically react in one of two ways. For some of us, the storm comes and we see that as it's time to go. Right? I'm not going to stay here anymore. So we we leave the job, we move out of the neighborhood, you're a student, you ask for a transfer to a different class, you switch roommates. Right? You're, you're, you, I mean, you see this like with, with sports. You just go pick a different team because you didn't get to play enough on that one. You see it more tragically as, as people do it in, in the most intense relationships of parents who abandon their children, of spouses who abandon each other. The storms come and they just decide, this is too hard, I'm out of here. Right? So, so some of us respond by leaving, by running away from it. Others respond when the storm comes of deciding, I'm gonna fix this. Like I, I see the problem And most of the time when we see the problem, it's everybody else. And so I'm going to fix them, right? And so a parent thinks, I can coach my child out of this. A spouse thinks, I can fix her. I can fix him, right? And and we know from our own experience, if, if you're a fixer, you've learned by now that you just can't do it. You can try and you can work, but most of what you're going to do is make everybody miserable. And the, the point that Jesus is trying to drive home to us here is that in life, storms will come. The storms come to the wise builder and to the foolish builder. We can't escape them. We can't fix them. And we, we see this in our, in our lives. You leave one relationship because it's dysfunctional and unhealthy, and you go into a new relationship and it's dysfunctional and it's unhealthy. You leave a job because your boss is insufferable and you start a new job and your boss is insufferable. You think you've fixed it and you've created some new unforeseen problem. See, storms are going to happen. There's no way we can arrange our lives to avoid that. And so as followers of Christ, our call then is to stop seeing the storms of life as a sign of God's absence and to start viewing them as opportunities to hear his voice and experiences grace. See, when the storms come, they test our foundation. When they come to our relationships, they test our foundations. And there will be times when the storms roll in, when the waves come up and your life collapses, your relationships collapse like a house of cards. There will be moments where the rough relationship causes the whole thing to fall apart where you're unable to give or receive love in those difficult moments. And when that happens, what do you do? How do you respond? My encouragement to you today is to respond with gratefulness to the Lord, that he is using these difficult situations in life, and in his mercy and in his grace, he is showing you that what you're building your life on is not sustainable. It's not strong enough. You're not good enough. So often I think we, we see these moments as just like, well, that's just an opportunity for me to improve myself a little bit. But maybe it runs deeper. You know, I mean, you think of this like, I mean, I've told you a lot. Angie and I, our, our kids play a lot of sports. And you know, we help coach in different ones. And other times we're just in the stand. And if you want to see the brokenness of humanity, Watch parents watch their little kids play sports, right? I have, I have yelled things at my children while they're playing basketball that I would have thought other people were crazy if they said them. Like, why do you say Of course your kid can't dribble with his left hand. He can't even spell his name. Why are you yelling at him about that? Because he should know better, you know? But, but in those moments, there's an, an opportunity for me. And I can either think like, well, I just need to stop talking, or, which is true. Or I can also think, what in the world is inside of me that drives these outrageous behaviors? Right? And, and it's not just if your kid doesn't play sports, you're not absolved from this. I mean, just think of areas in your life where your reaction is so much greater than the action. Right, where you just lose your mind about the stupidest stuff and you feel totally justified in that moment. But if you witness somebody else having that conversation at, at Walmart or at Target, you would think that's a crazy person. Right? And in those moments, the storms, whether they are big or whether they are small, are revealing to us that the things we're building our life on are not holding firm. If I'm trying to build my life on winning the approval of others, it's going to be cracks in the walls. If I'm trying to build my life on proving that I am good enough, that I will not fail, I'm not going to make it. And so God in his grace comes to us. And he sends people to us and he sends and allows situations to arise that highlight our tendency to build on foundations other than Christ. And when those moments come, we should thank him for his grace. We should thank him for his mercy. And we should turn back to Matthew 7 and start to say, well, what does Jesus say about this? How do I walk through this moment? And what does he tell us? He says, listen, you are to put these foundational words, words to build a life on. You're to put those, not just put them in your heart, but actually begin to live them out, which reminds us, I think, that, that we, if we're supposed to build our lives on the words of Christ, if they're supposed to be uh, the, the glue that holds everything together, we have to remember that we can't practice what we don't know. Right? You can't build on something that you don't understand. And so it, when it comes to following Jesus, what that means for us is we need to live in a way where we are immersing ourselves in the scriptures where we are surrendering each day to the revelation of Christ, where we're having conversations about these things, where we are praying through the scriptures, where we are joining together like we did a few moments ago and we're singing the truths of the scriptures, where we are setting aside regular time in our day, a pattern, a rhythm to our life, where the scriptures are constantly being put into us because they are the foundation on which our life is built. He also tells us you gotta work these words into your life. It's the difference between just knowing about Jesus and actually experience him personally. Don't just learn about who he is, but actually live out the life that he offers you. And when you do that, then when the rain comes, then when the river floods, the tornado hits, nothing will move your heart because it's fixed to the rock. See, our lives are secure not because of who we are, not because of how we were raised, not because of how much we earn, not because of who our parents are or who our children are, but our lives are secure because of what Christ has accomplished for us. And so as we begin to spend the the next couple weeks talking about how do we love as we have been loved, how do we change the way we think, how do we change the way we react, We must do it from from a position of being built and rooted in Christ, of remembering every single day all I need he has provided, of remembering every single day the solution to my relationship difficulties is not to fix everyone else. It's to fix my life in Jesus Christ. It's to surrender to the truth of the gospel every day to not just let that be a message for those people out there, but to understand the gospel, the message that I am weak, I'm powerless, I'm helpless without Christ, begins here. And as I surrender to it, I will experience his grace and his mercy and his power, and I'll be able to share that with others. You see, the foundation of Christ is the only thing that brings hope to our relationships. It's the only thing that can sustain the most difficult moments of life. It's the only thing that is greater than your problems. If you're building it on anything else, it's not going to last. The worship team's going to come in just a moment. The ushers are going to prepare to serve us communion. And as they do, they're going to come and, and you're going to take a cup and you're going to take a piece of bread. And in your hands, you're going to hold symbols of God's love for you. And as you hold it, I want it to be a reminder to you that the foundation of Christ in our life is not just him as a role model who says, do as I did, but it's him as a savior who says, I died so you can live. It is my power at work in you that enables you to live this way, that enables you to put these words into practice, to work them out in your life. And no matter what we've done, no matter who we have wronged. The message of the gospel remains the same to us today. That No matter how broken we are, Jesus is greater. That no matter how great our sin, his grace runs deeper. And so we come in repentance, we come in humility, and we come with hearts full of joy and hope to receive the new life that Jesus has offered to us. So when the ushers come, they're going to they're come by and they're going to pass these to you. And the only way you're not going to wind up with a cup and bread in your hands is if you refuse to take it. And it's the same way with the salvation Jesus is offering to each one of us this morning. The only way we don't receive it is if we refuse it. So take this, hold it in your hands, let's consider what Jesus has done for us. Then I'll come back in a moment and we'll receive it together.